Welcome back, everybody. Good to have you here on a Tuesday edition of the program. We got a fun one lined up for you today, too. We're going back to our roots, bringing back analysts to break down some of the biggest games coming up in sports. Dave Maloney is going to be calling the game with Sam Rosen tonight, Rangers and Lightning Game 4 on 98.7 ESPN Radio in New York from Tampa. That game's going to get going in two hours. Dave's going to join us live in 20 minutes. Now, for those of you that have listened to this show forever, you might remember Dave Maloney used to talk hockey with me 20 years ago. This is long before he got back involved as an analyst, and uh, Dave's amazing. So, um, very well-known name in the New York area. He is the uh, former Ranger and uh, right now analyst uh, for uh, MSG, and he's working opposite Sam Rosen tonight on the uh, network. So, we'll get Dave Maloney coming up in about 20 minutes, and then former Ikea Cleveland Cavalier Austin Carr is going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour to offer up his thoughts on the NBA Finals. Adrian, this is what I would like to say old school sports talk guests because this is what we did 20-something years ago when I first started. It was all about bringing on the former analysts, the former players, and stuff like that. So happy we're getting back to it today, going to our roots. And I think our listeners might be excited to know that there's going to be a lot more of this coming up here in the uh, in the days and weeks and months to come on the program. Yeah, we always love to do this. We always love to sprinkle in the national guests when we get a chance to do it. And the timing could not be better. I mean, we've got NBA Finals action tomorrow with the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics in a Game 3 situation. Both teams have won one game. And then we got Lightning Rangers tonight where Tampa Bay tries to even up the season, uh, the series and the Rangers try to take a commanding 3-1 to one lead in this series. So, yeah, just a lot of excitement, great timing for these guests, and uh, can't wait to keep this rolling. Yeah, especially uh, when we look at who's right now already into the uh, Stanley Cup Finals, and that's the Colorado Avalanche. So they're already in, and apparently – You've got uh, Peter McNabb coming on the show here later in the week from uh, the uh, Avalanche to talk a little bit about uh, Colorado and their run through the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs because they just swept the Edmonton Oilers right out of the Western Conference Finals. Wow, I mean, that's that's huge right there, Steve. And I thought yesterday the Oilers would finally take one game at least, uh, but that, that's just not the case. Uh, the Avalanche were the best regular season team, in, in my opinion, just uh, watching hockey. And then when you saw what they did in the playoffs so far, I got a little nervous. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie to you. I got a little nervous about this team when I saw what happened uh, against in the series against the Blues, where the Blues started to come back in that series and made it very interesting. The Avalanche hung on. They dominated against the Oilers, and now they got a little time off ahead of the, the Stanley Cup Finals. A lot of time off. Let's be honest. It, it, doesn't it feel like it's an eternity right now yes. with the amount of days? I mean, look, this Rangers-Lightning series can easily go six or seven, and if that's the case, they might be off for a week and a half before they get ready for the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, that's that's one of those things, Steve, that uh, you know, you're just looking at this. you got to maintain momentum if you're the Colorado Avalanche, uh, and you know, maybe it's the team who comes off the series a little bit more fresh. Who knows? The Rangers could still uh, win this series in a gentleman's sweep if they win it in five, uh, just giving the Lightning one. So this game four is key tonight for the Rangers to try to dominate this series. If there's a seventh game for the Rangers and Lightning, it'll be next Wednesday. Wow. Wow. So that tells you how long the potential layoff could be 
for the Colorado Avalanche, but they're, they're banged up. They need to get healthy, which is what they're going to do. So that's, uh, that's important for them as well. But uh, big, big news. Joe Madden fired today with this 12-game losing streak that uh, the Angels are, are dealing with right now. Phil Nevin named interim manager. And uh, you got to understand, I mean, this, this has been a disaster. This was a team that was 10 games over 500 two weeks ago. 10 games over. Yeah. Now they're two under. And, I mean, you look at longest losing streaks since divisional uh, baseball started in 1969, and this is right up there. This could be the longest. Steve, when I looked at this uh, and I saw, you know, even just going to last night, just getting shut out at home, one nothing against uh, the Red Sox. It's just, you know, it's it's really um, not not the season that they wanted at all. Just knowing the the people who are and the players who are on this team as well, Steve. So I know that uh, Madden, he he went to the Athletic today. He was uh, saying that he was shocked. He was really surprised. I I don't know if it's a lot of finger pointing right now by the Angels front office trying to uh, try to see what's the issue in this uh, in this organization but man uh, just not a good stretch here for the Angels one bit longest losing streak in baseball history is 26 games the Louisville Colonels did that in 1889 the Cleveland Spiders lost 24 the 61 Phillies lost 23 in a row uh, more recently the, the 88 Baltimore Orioles dropped 21 in a row um, and then you can look also at the 2005 Royals and the 2021 Orioles, 19 in a row. So the Angels are still, uh, they, they've got work to do to try to set a record because that's a long ways away. But uh, understand that double-digit losing streaks like this are rare. And when a team that should be a playoff team is caught in the middle of it, especially when you've got names like Otani and Trout on that roster, you've got to do something. And uh, Joe Madden is the casualty. Yeah, that's right. With Otani, this is a once-in-a-generation type of athlete. And then Mike Trout, another once-in-a-generation type of player right there. So, uh, you know, wins and losses, it, you have to get some wins across the board for the Angels here. Uh, and, and there's just really no excuse right now as to how uh, the, how far they've fallen uh, among the standings. I mean, they're so far away from trying to catch the Astros right now at eight and a half games behind. Yep, and that'll be a topic of discussion tomorrow when uh, you go on the air at 4 o'clock and Jay Jaffe joins you at 420 tomorrow. Oh, no doubt. This is going to be a, a huge storyline to just monitor for the rest of the week, how the Angels going to respond after this. Yeah, it really is. So, again, those are some of the stories we're going to be covering. Uh, again, 505-6009, that is the telephone number, 505-6009. Gets you right on in and through to the program and uh, we'd love to hear from you since uh, we've got uh, a lot to in store for you here on the show today. Put a story up on the website a little while ago about the um, UTEP, the lack, I should say, of UTEP bigs. Uh, this is also kind of a, an interesting storyline to follow now that the roster is, is all said and done. Some of us thought that you know, Joe Golding would use that last scholarship, try to go get himself a, an experienced scoring uh, big man as a D1 transfer. Not the case. Instead, went with a junior college guard. And think about it. Nine holes to fill for this roster. Nine. Or, or is there ten? Wait, there's 13 scholarships. You had Kalu, Onyema, and, um, one, Sibley, and, and right. Sibley. So, so ten scholarships to fill. Half of those scholarships, Juco guys. Half. 
Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, Steve. When I when I look at this roster, guys with JUCO ties, guys who've come and, and maybe aren't the polished scorers or experienced scorers in their past. So you're getting a lot of guys with chips on their shoulder, maybe injury history, maybe even have been hurt in terms of recruiting because of the COVID-19 pandemic and couldn't land on a Division One roster like we had kind of talked to some of these players about. Now, now that you kind of look at this roster and how it looks uh, and it's from top to bottom, you realize that A, this is a small roster, B, they lack uh, presence when it comes to scoring inside and just proven scoring inside, and, and C, I'm not sure um, how this you know philosophy of the roster is going to shape up when it's all said and done. Who's going to be the starters? Who's the what's the kind of depth chart outlook on this? So it's a very interesting um, way to build a roster, comparing this UTEP roster to even one like uh, NMSU's and how they built their roster. Sure, they got junior college players, but they got a lot of uh, splash guys out of the Division One ranks. And they also got a bunch of guys off the best junior college team in the country last year. Which was the team that yeah. Hire happened to be coaching because they won the national championship. So, oh, that's most definitely right. You know, and that's and it's it's a different formula. Look, I'll say this about UTEP basketball, um, and and then we'll we'll move along. Last year's team had some real alpha males on it, players that wanted the ball and wanted the spotlight. And if you're Joe Golding, hey, them I mean, you won twenty games, but that might have been more uh, headaches than it was worth. Maybe you decide, you know what. I'm not doing that this time around. I'm going out and getting a bunch of guys with chips on their shoulders, players that are hungry, want to win, want to buy in. I don't care how many points they score. I don't care where they come from. I just want guys that are going to work hard. And maybe that is what the uh, the 2022-23 UTEP basketball team is going to look like. Yeah, I, it's so interesting because, that again, just comparing it to Greg Heyer's roster and the way that he was able, he built it with guys that he knew, like players that he encountered from the junior college ranks. So, yeah, I, I just I, I don't – it's an interesting way to build your roster. I'm not knocking it. I'm just going to have to be – I have a wait-and-see approach when it comes to this. Well, some fans are knocking it. There's a lot of fans that wanted an impact big man. And they and they understood last year. You come in late, you don't have a lot of time to recruit, you're new, and you 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 didn't get the guys you wanted, although you, you did shoot for some some pretty good uh some pretty good transfers. You didn't get them. Uh now you've had a whole year, you've got an opportunity and you know, listen, I hope Derek Hamilton works out because that's really the one guy they're bringing in that they're putting uh, all their hopes on. 6'10 kid played uh, Juco basketball and Again, we'll have to wait and see if Derek Hamilton can make the transition. Yeah, that's a that's a huge thing right there. And that's a huge ask because the last junior college big man that this UTEP uh, coaching staff put a little stock in was Bonky Maring. And he didn't really pan out, but he also was a guy who averaged double digits and, and uh, double digit rebounds at Blinn College. So he came here with a nice Juco pedigree, but he didn't really have that much success. So let's see what Derek Hamilton could do. This UTEP coaching staff got a chance to reset, and now they got a new opportunity at a big man with Hamilton. All right, 13 past the hour as we continue here on the show. 505-6009, our telephone number. Dave Maloney going to be joining us 20 past the hour uh, here on the on the program. And then a little bit later, Austin Carr, Mr. Cavalier, will join us to offer up his thoughts on the NBA Finals. Excited about getting different perspectives from guys who played the game. Uh, that's really what it's all about, too, and and get their, you know, their thoughts on what they've watched so far. Uh, in this NBA Finals. Two games, two completely different types of games. Um, you know, 
I think the Warriors are probably kicking themselves because they realize that they didn't just go ice cold in game one. They could easily have a two games to none lead and probably should have a two games to none lead because as bad a choke as the fourth quarter was in game one, that's as big of a blowout as it turned into in game two. Yeah, they should be proud of how they responded in that second game. I'm not sure if Draymond Green will continue to get away with all that he got away with in game two uh, going into Boston in game three, but this is a must win game for the Celtics. The Celtics have to win at TD Garden tomorrow, uh, and if they don't, it puts a ton of pressure on them to go out and win at Oracle in, in Game 5. Now, you're assuming that Boston can maybe win these two games and go up 3-1, but that's way easier said than done against a veteran team like the Warriors. Great point. All right, we'll talk more about that as Sports Talk continues, but first, uh, let's go to Charlie 1 and get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Then Dave Maloney will join us live as Sports Talk continues here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, welcome back, everybody. As we approach 20 past here on Sports Talk, excited about jumping out to the phones and joining a man who uh, is about to be calling a uh, very, very big uh, playoff game, game number four between the Rangers and the Lightning. He's a former Ranger. He's also partners with Sam Rosen on 98.7 ESPN in New York. He is uh, none other than Dave Maloney, who's going to offer up some insight on the series Dave, it's, it's been a long time since we've had you on here in El Paso. Thanks for the time, and thanks for joining us today. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's uh, Again, I often, lots of times I look around and wonder how I've ended up where I've ended up. It's been a great run, and I, I don't think I would ever have foreseen the day that I was going to be talking uh, hockey in uh, El Paso, Texas. So it's great stuff. Oh, that's it's, awesome. Uh, just, it's, it's just great stuff. So thanks for calling, and uh, yeah, it's a, you know game four here tonight against the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning team. We're obviously back-to-back champions. Uh, still play with the heart of a uh, heart of a champion. So Rangers will have their work cut out for them for sure. No doubt, especially since uh, they had a two games to none lead and and had a two nothing lead in the second period uh, on Sunday, where it seemed like mm-hmm. for a minute, Dave, they they really had a chance to put the Lightning away. And, and hasn't that mm-hmm. kind of been a theme? of uh, Tampa during the postseason, just when you think you've got them down and out, they always find a way to come back and, and get themselves back in and, and win a series. Well, the thing is, Steve, until you've been in the playoff environment, you really that's where you learn uh, what it takes to win it all. And uh, this is, you know, I mentioned, obviously it's very well documented, the back-to-back championships. So there's really nothing that's going to phase this hockey club. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they they proved that in a uh, game seven on the road against Toronto, and then um, you know decimated uh, a Florida team that had the best record in the league in the regular season, and didn't give up a game at all. So they're just they're they're, they're a good team. They're a big heavy team. They they've got what it takes to win, um, and won't go down easily. And I, I think in game three, had the Rangers lasted another 41 seconds. They would have had a you know time to regroup uh, and then headed into overtime, and uh, that might have offered up a little time for them to kind of just get their bearings a little bit because Tampa had come on pretty hard in the third period and uh, Shesterkin was Shesterkin kept it close, but I thought if they'd gotten it to the intermission, it may have turned out differently, but uh, that's not the case, and uh, we head into Game Four. 
Shesterkin's been so terrific all season long and in the playoffs. The Rangers have also been really good on the power play, and so many guys are, are stepping up in a big way. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, Zabanajad's been unbelievable. Kreider was able to get a goal in game two. Um, it, I don't look, as someone who's followed Ranger hockey for 40 plus years, Dave, and actually remembers when you mm-hmm. played, um, this oh. club to me kind of came into the playoffs with uh, a great regular season, but I don't know how many even Ranger fans expected them to be here right now? Well, there's no question this is a bit of a bonus round for this franchise. I mean, you think back uh, to when the letter came out in 2017, they were going to kind of go a different direction and build the right way, actually, through the draft and being patient uh, and all those things. But a transition uh, becomes somewhat easier when you go from Henrik Lundqvist to Igor Shosturkin in net. And the thing is, uh, Shesterkin, there was no question it was a Shesterkin show for the first month or six weeks of the season. But by the time it came February and March, uh, the Rangers were a legitimate team, a legitimate team that uh, could play in the playoffs. The only thing, you know, kind of would be suspect was the inexperience. And uh, now they've gotten on a bit of a roll. So I, I think most Ranger fans will take whatever consequence, however this thing plays out, as um, you know, a good run, and now if it if it uh, you know runs to the finals, that's the next step. So uh, a little bit like I think every Ranger fan is taking it game to game, like this team does, and enjoying what they've been able to accomplish. Dave Maloney with us uh, here on Sports Talk again. Uh, Dave joining Sam Rosen tonight for the call for the uh, Rangers Radio Network. Um, what has impressed you the most about this team from the Pittsburgh series to the Carolina series now to having a two games to one lead over the back-to-back defending Stanley Cup champs? Well, see, the most impressive thing to me is just their um, complete ability to come off the ropes. Um, you know, they were down um, 3-1 to Pittsburgh. Uh, down to uh, nothing to Carolina. And they have a, a, a really have a wonderfully refreshing attitude. Rarely does the coaching staff, and as a result, do the players look back. They look back to learn. There's no look back with criticism or finger pointing. The lack of ego has been just incredible. Um, so I, I, that's the thing that's been most impressive to me. Is, um, and Shesterkin's story is the same thing. You know, he had a tough time in Pittsburgh in games three and four, uh, but came off the ropes and has been spectacular since. So I just think that, um, you know, at this point of the season, the X's and O's are pretty well out there for everybody to see. And I just think it's it's the little things. Can you get the save? Um, can you get the power play goal? Is there somebody that comes out of nowhere to be a factor in a hockey game? Uh, all those little things that make a difference. But the attitude from this Ranger group, has been tremendous. They are very close. Uh, they have a, a kind of a captain com- com- committee of captains that they all get along. So it's just been a really good group, and um, that that that's been impressive. I think the fun part about watching this team also is the toughness. Um, you know, I liked when they were building this team the last couple of years, and I'm a big JD fan. So when he left, mm-hmm. uh, it it hurt. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen how they've added some toughness, added some grit, and now uh, you know they're not getting pushed around. They're the ones dishing out the hits, and uh, and it's paid off for them. Yeah, you certainly have to have. Um, it's still a physical game, and it still requires a commitment to do some things that maybe you'd rather not do. Can you take a hit to make a play, or can you initiate a hit to make a play? And 
I think the acquisition of uh, Ryan Reeves and uh, Barkley Goudreau, two guys that had been nurtured in uh, winning franchises. You know, Bar- Bar- Goudreau's uh, pedigree is well-documented, back-to-back cup championships here in Tampa. And Reeves started in St. Louis, went on the Magical Mystery Tour in Las Vegas, uh, was in Pittsburgh for a, a bit of a coffee stop. And everywhere along, they've kind of been in a franchise where they know what it takes to win. They happen to be on the more physical side. And I think from day one, uh, Gerard Gallant, uh, Gallant asked his players to be, uh, um, be willing to play, play honest, play hard, force the opposition. And now when, it's, uh, you know, when there's a little scrum or they have to protect the goaltender, there's, there's absolutely no hesitation. And you're getting more of your top players to kind of buy into the fact that, well, everybody would like to tic-tac-toe the puck around. When it comes to this time of uh, season, you really do have to commit to making maybe stepping outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I think the Rangers, again, led by the message from the coaching staff, have done exactly that. They've been, it's been a really good year. Do you feel almost like the Rangers just lucked into the situation with Gallant, given his uh, circumstances in Vegas and the success he had in in really uh, his first two seasons there? He seems like someone that has pushed all the right buttons. The players love uh, dressing for him and, again, getting the most out of his talent. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you know, coach, lots of coaches and lots of teams, it's the right moment for that particular coach. And I think from a Rangers standpoint, you can look, their older guys aren't old, and their younger guys are older than they were in David uh, Quinn's initial stages. I think we all really like David, what he was doing, but I, I personally, I never thought David would live to see the fruits of his efforts, but uh, I was a little surprised when he was let go as quickly as he was. That being said, you have to credit Chris Drury for acknowledging, A, what they needed from uh, ahead, you know, from the coach, and uh, the type of players he thought they needed to get in the offseason. And then the acquisitions at the trade deadline were wonderful. So there's no question that uh, it, it all starts with Gallant. I think the best, and he's, he's old school to the degree, somebody used to quote the other day that um, he lets the room breathe. And I thought that was a really wonderful uh, annotation of, of his thing and it. And he's not aloof by any, I think he's just totally honest. When he, after game five in Carolina, when the uh, Rangers, um, you know, had come back at, uh, to get it tied at T2, he, he, he said his team looked tired. And I was asked whether that was some sort of motivational thing. I No, I don't think there's a calculated move in Gerard Gallant's style at all. He's, he's very honest in what he says, and it's just... Somebody asked, and that's what he said. There's no calculation, and it's been a wonderful run for him and the team. Now, um, this team had owned uh, the Lightning during the regular season, Dave, but we all know that playoffs are different. Uh, you tell mm-hmm. me, in hockey, do you just throw the regular season completely out the window when you're this far along and you're dealing with these two teams? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think what happens now when you get down to four – And that's what I mentioned before. When you're down to four, there's a good chance that the four teams have all been playing well. Now, you can make the arguments whether they're good teams, um, you know, teams that are playing great, or are they a great team? I think think a lot of us look at Colorado and say, boy, that's a great team. You know, and uh, so, you know, in 79, we went to the finals and lost to Montreal in five, and we'd beaten them three times in the regular season that season. 
So uh, come playoff time, it's just a completely different animal. The guys are willing to do uh, more, to lay bodies on the line, uh, are committed to do the little things that you don't, you don't do over the course of 82-game schedule. It's impossible to play with the intensity during 82 games that these guys play now. And you can rightly assume that the teams that are left are all playing well. And uh, you just have to find a way to do those little things. So regular season gets you here, and you got to be in it to win it. And there's a lot of things that change once you're in it. Dave Maloney was the youngest captain in the history of the Rangers. He's on the broadcast tonight with Sam Rosen, and he joins us here on Sports Talk. We also uh, right now have an opportunity to place uh, a call into the show. That would be Kurt. Kurt, welcome. You're on with Dave Maloney. Hey, Dave. Steve. Hey, uh, longtime Ranger fan, early 70s. Loved all those guys, a lot of Hall of Famers. Loved to watch you and your brother Donnie play together, man. That was great. Great. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> And uh, I just have kind of like a three-part question, if you will. Uh, it seems like the Rangers are having a hard time playing a full 60 minutes because with three minutes to go, they seem to lose a lot of games that way. Um, their power play, in my opinion, is, isn't really on par right now because, in my, my opinion, they, they pass too much. And mm-hmm. they, they're, losing a lot of, they're losing a lot of face-offs in the zone, and they really have to – start winning them, winning them if they want to end up beating Tampa Bay. I will hang up. Dave, it's a pleasure talking to you. You too, Steve. I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Kurt. Well, thank you, Kurt. I think the first observation, um, you know what, there's all three of them I have to disagree on the observation. I think here's what you talk about a 60-minute game, especially at this time of the year. The opposition is going to come at you at some point. Right, they're allowed to play their game, and I've often thought when you're when you're in the midst of defending an opposition surge, it's how long, what what part of the game does it last, and what part of the game does it occur, how long does it last, and where do you stand when you're you're out of it? So um, the Ranger team, it happens to come out of uh, of game three that uh, towards the end of the game, as I said. I think most of us would have hoped that uh, that uh, they would have gotten the game to end in regulation, uh, and uh, they didn't. They were 41 seconds away from doing that. The power play is the best power play in the playoffs. No complaints uh, there. Uh, faceoffs begin. Faceoffs really only matter in the special teams. I think uh, particularly uh, if you can. Uh, Tampa is the second worst faceoff team coming into. Uh, this playoff team. So both teams have struggled on a relative basis in the face-off. But a face-off becomes important a, if you're on the power play and a, if you're on the penalty kill. Can you get possession in the offensive defensive zone? So the Rangers got 110 points with not a very good power play, and they're in the uh, conference finals up 2-1 with not a very good, I'm sorry, face-off uh, situation. So uh, those are all the little things that uh, along the way I think the Rangers have accorded themselves fairly well. Dave, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, you mentioned 79 playing against the Canadians in the Stanley Cup. Then in 94, the Rangers break through, beat Vancouver to win the Stanley Cup. And in 14, they go and, pl- and play the Kings and lose that. All that being said, what is it like right now being at the Garden and, and feeding off that energy as you've had a chance to witness this run through the uh, playoffs for the city of New York compared to what it's been like in the last eight, nine years? 
Uh, well, this is, well, listen, 94 was special, right? And the way it ended in Game 7 with McTavish winning the faceoff, uh, and then the final nail was in that coffin that had been 1940, right? And uh, that was that was electric. I was at the game, um, and, you know, the crowd was on their feet for the final 20 minutes. It was that close. Uh, 2014, it's funny uh, because the Rangers played the Flyers. It just didn't seem to be the buzz in the building. And, you know, it was a Vino team that, you know, was encouraged to turn turn the other cheek, play whistle to whistle. It wasn't, you know, again, uh, and they end up uh, losing to L.A. There were three overtime goals, obviously. Uh, Hendrick, the issue there was Hendrick did just about everything for the club but score goals. And if he had been able to score goals, he would have been either further up in the rafters than he is now. Uh, but this group has been a wonderfully exciting team coming out of a trying time for all of us, right? You talk about the pandemic. They play in the bubble. It's shortened season. Last year, there was nobody in the building for a bigger part of the season. Um, and uh, the crowd and the uh, garden has done a wonderful job of having the fans. The minute they come into the building, they're engaged in some sort of activity. And people are actually paying attention to the game because this team at the bottom, uh, bottom line is very exciting to watch. They're fun to watch. The regular season, when they get zip the puck around, they came from behind in 27 games uh, to win hockey games, so they were never out of it. Shesterkin uh, is terrific. They've got a wonderful uh, a group of personalities. So 94 was special. Uh, I think 2014 was obviously special, but it was a little not quite as an exciting team to watch. It was a different time, but this has been a great run. The building has uh, been supportive uh, through thick and thin, so... Here's to hoping that it continues to be such because I know there's a, a, a lot of people now become Ranger fans rather quickly uh, coming out of the trying times that we all had through the pandemic. No doubt. Looking forward to tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Dave, can't thank you enough for taking the time. Have a great broadcast with Sam tonight and uh, look forward to the next time we get to talk a little pucks with you here on the show. Uh, great, Steve. Thanks for calling. Thanks for having me on. Dave Maloney, folks, as we continue 36 past the hour here on Sports Talk. Let's go to Adrian, get this Sports Center update. We'll come back with more in a moment here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Adrian, thank you very much. Really, really good stuff uh, with Dave Maloney on the show, giving us uh, the lowdown uh, here uh, on the Rangers and the Lightning. And looking forward to uh, that game facing off in about an hour and 20 minutes and seeing if Tampa can even it up or if the Rangers will take that commanding three games to one lead. It just—it was great hearing that uh, that that um, uh, interview with Dave. And you know what, Steve? I get it. I understand why he says that this is such a huge, huge game for the Rangers. If they win, win this one, it swings the entire series. So, uh, yeah, great, great stuff right there. Awesome. All right, uh, before we go to break, hey, I uh, need to tell you a little bit about uh, what happened with uh, Charles and Carmen. You know, they wanted to sell their home on the Far East Side of El Paso because they wanted a downsize. So they enlisted the help of Brian Birds and his team since they weren't in a rush to sell, but they did want the most money. The home was pre-marketed in Brian's Coming Soon program. That's right. The home was listed for $399,000, but within two weeks, it was under contract for $403,000. They wanted the most money, and Brian's team delivered. That's what happens. And I don't blame you if uh, you're worried about leaving money on the table. If you sell your home, I would be too. Not with Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team powered by EXP Realty. Now, Brian can guarantee to sell your home for a price and deadline you both agree to, or he'll buy it himself. 
This enables you to make an offer on another home without fear of ending up with two mortgages because you know when and for how much your current home will sell. Call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos, not to mention the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. His name is Brian Birds, 751-1500. Online at brianbirds.com or Google Brian Birds and start packing. Hey, El Paso, have you heard? To sell your home, get Call Brian Birds. Go to brianbirds.com. Welcome back. Sports Talk continues 49 now past the hour. 505-6009, our telephone number to get into the show. Love to hear from you. Getting ready to watch a little hockey tonight. When's the next NBA game? Tomorrow? That's correct. Tomorrow right. and Friday. Hey, look at that. They're actually playing with uh, just one day off. After like 54 hours off. It's the NBA for you, man. You know, at least um, at least they're not taking more uh, more time. I guess they like that Sunday game, huh? Is that what they want? They want they want Wednesday. Yeah, they want Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Yeah, and and uh, by the way, uh, stories have already been written about the ratings for the NBA, uh, and it's not a newsflash. The ratings are pretty low. Um, it, it's not. You know, across all sports, we've seen a decline in, in viewership, but we're still seeing a decline in viewership with, when it comes to the NBA and the finals. So I know it's it's not necessarily it's the, the recent teams who've had a lot of success. It's not your marquee names and players uh, aside from Steph Curry, but still it's Warriors and Celtics. It's a lot in, uh, it's a lot in team recognition right there in itself. Check this out. Wednesday, Friday, next Monday, next Thursday. What? So no weekend games? No weekend games. No Saturday, Sunday in the NBA. They're giving up the uh, the weekend. And I think I know why. Because those uh, they would have had to travel like the NHL and play, and they don't want to do that. So they would much rather go and uh, have their travel games and then have the extra day off. And drag it out, drag as all the conversation as you, out. As long as humanly possible. Dra- drag out the viewership, drag out everybody's uh, you know, l- watching and viewership and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's news to me. I did not realize that we weren't going to see a Sunday game. Instead, we're seeing a Monday game again. What, I, I'm just, wow, Steve, I, I'm amazed by this. I know. And by the way, as far as the uh, ratings for Game 2, um, you know, it's... Um, I believe 11.9 million viewers. So, and that uh, is the, that I guess tops only the last two out of season years as the lowest for an NBA uh, game two final since 2007. And uh, that was a pretty good finals right there. The 2007 finals, Spurs beat the Cavs. You had a LeBron James going to the NBA finals for the first time. And uh, yeah, it's the smallest viewership since then. Now, is that total audience or is that just television? So that's um, that's just television, the ABC-only broadcast. So, it, it, again, numbers are a little skewed. They don't really go off of uh, the non-traditional TV numbers either, like, yet. Uh, and, and you know, there's been some misreporting as far as the r- ratings so far. I know that another news source had said that the NBA Finals are, like, the worst they've ever been, which is incorrect. No. They, they fielded that really early before they actually uh, looked at the full scope of the ratings. 
ratings. It's still not great. Some people no. thought it would be 12 million, 14 million, 16 million. Uh, not close. Well, you had asked Dave DeFore a couple weeks ago, what's, what's the one that the NBA actually wants? Like, what's the what's going to get all the ratings? And I thought it would be this one, Boston Golden State. You have the Celtics uh, organization and everybody over there in Boston who wa- intently watches them. And then the Warriors with, with Steph Curry. It right? has to be. I mean, there's no way you cannot tell me that Miami would get better ratings than Boston, just like you can't tell me that Phoenix would get better ratings than Golden State. Maybe the players aren't as likable right now. I, I think that you have camps of players. Like, there's guys who love LeBron, guys who love Steph, people who really like uh, Kevin Durant, people who are out there who side with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. But maybe it's hard to watch, you know, just these individual players for some uh, some of the casual fans, and they can't really attach themselves to the new era of basketball players. I could see that, too. I really could. It's a it's a possibility. But it's but. interesting because the younger generation loves basketball, and, and they really like the NBA. I would say the NBA is king for a younger generation. Well, you got to think about it. The younger generation definitely doesn't like baseball. Maybe they love football. I think I think the NFL could still be king for the uh, for the younger generation. Don't you? Yeah, I think so. But, but when you get into like the AAU ranks and you mm-hmm. see how how much of a influence basketball really has on like really younger kids, well, I, I think it's yes tough. and no. Okay, yes and no. Let me say this. It might have an influence on them, but they can't afford to go watch a game. True, true. They've outpriced a lot of their fans. They have. They've Look at unless Golden you State. exactly exactly right. You need to take out a small a second mortgage to try to afford tickets to go watch the NBA Finals. Yeah, it's really disappointing that they ostracized all the Oakland fans, and then they've really made it so all the tech people in uh, that San Francisco area could be the only ones who afford ticket prices to the Warriors. It's a shame. I mean, now I know someone here locally who has tickets to game. I believe it's Game Five of the NBA wow. Finals. But it, he's afraid to tell us what it cost him because he knows it's probably a staggering amount of money. Just tell us. I'm, I don't. I'm I don't know. know. I don't have the answer to that. I'm dying to know. It's got to be an amazing number. One yeah. of these days, I'll find out. And when I do, I'll let you know. Real quick, my friend lives about three blocks away from uh, Oracle Arena out there, Golden State. He was really trying to get Game One tickets. Five grand. Five grand. Right before tip off, he said that's the secret. You have to go right before tip, t- uh, like to Ticketmaster or whatever. Right before tip off. And, yep, five grand. Unbelievable. All right. That's craziness. Hey, we'll come back. Uh, Plenty more coming up, including uh, Cavs legend Austin Carr. He'll join us in the second hour to offer up his thoughts on the NBA Finals. Sports Talk continues right here at 600. It's ESPN El Paso. It's been a busy one, Adrian. A lot of great uh, personalities uh, on the show today, and uh, it is continuing right now with a man simply known as Mr. Cavalier. He spent uh, his career with Cleveland, and he's uh, a big part of their uh, broadcast team and has been for years. I'm talking about uh, Austin Carr, who leads off our number two. Austin, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much uh, for joining us here in El Paso today. How are you? Yeah, thank you, Steve. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well, Austin. How about yourself? Uh, you tell me, um, you know, it's, it's, it's NBA Finals time, and, and I'll be the first to ask you, um, you know, when you've had a chance to, to watch the NBA playoffs so far and kind of see how things have transpired, uh, are, are, are you enjoying the NBA playoffs up to this point? Yeah, I always enjoy it. I mean, because it's, it's the finale of, of, a, of a whole year, so... You know, as an ex-player, you always get into it and watch it. I, 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 one thing I've noticed, I don't watch the first rounds as much as I watch the, the semifinals and the finals. Uh, but other than that, though, it's been, it's been a nice. I mean, watching 
watching the two best teams play, it's been really – it shows you why they're the two best teams, and that's what I like to, to see the cream come to the top. Absolutely, uh, and at the same time, when we look at these two teams right now, the one thing that I've said on the show that I've had a hard time with is is getting a chance to see two teams uh, throw up 86 threes in a game. That's that's not the kind of basketball, Austin, that I grew up watching, and a lot of my listeners haven't. But that's kind of the reality of of what this series and what the you know the NBA is has has become in a way. Yeah, it's a whole different game now. They're eliminating the big man, and and but but the big man has to be able to shoot threes too. So it's all about entertainment now. I mean, it's, it's no longer uh, the kind of ball that you and I are used to. I mean, it, 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 if you can shoot threes along with the kind of ball that that we played, now you you win championships that way. But when you have a team like Golden State who can just flat out make threes. With anybody, Cohen, that that change, that kind of skews the game a little bit. It changes the game. It takes away the big people in the game, and it's just all about running around. And the fact that you can't touch anybody anymore really makes it hard to to to, to defend those type of teams. And Golden State smart; they know that. They know what the rules are, and they kind of develop everything to to fit what they know they can get away with with the with the rules. It's a great point. It is a great point. And and the truth is and I brought this up too that when people started probably watching the days of uh, of Bird and Magic and later Jordan and the Bad Boys, they probably said that's not the basketball they grew up with in the 60s and the 70s, Austin. So uh, the sport just continues to evolve. And whether fans like it or not, it's kind of the product we have right now. And the truth <laughs> is, there's some, there's some great shooters out there. There's no denying that. Oh, yeah. I mean, shooters are becoming uh... – Every team has to have two or three of them. I mean, if you look at the teams that are in the, the last eight teams in there, all of them had at least five or six guys that can score. I mean, and granted, the defense is important, especially in the playoffs because the game slows down. But all of them have players that can put the ball in the basket. I mean, Golden State added pool to their mixture, and now they, 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 they take off and go, and they can still play the way they used to play even though Clay Thompson is not what he used to be. So, I mean, having good shooters, I mean, you look at um, um, the Boston. Now, Boston, they got hot at the right time in the fourth quarter, shooting threes, and it just skewed. It changed the whole game in five minutes. Now, the, the next game they come back, uh, Tatum can't hit a shot. He can't make a shot. Yep. They, the, the defense has slowed him down, and that changed the whole game. So, it, it really... If you don't, if you can't make consistent threes, it changes the way you play and the and the outcome of the games. Now, it's a good point. We're talking with Austin Carr right now here on the Sports Talk as we continue on the show. And uh, in that Golden State 107-88 win over the weekend to tie the series at uh, one apiece, they really blew out Boston in the third quarter. You know, thirty-five fourteen, and, right. and and took it over. That's one thing, Austin, we've seen a lot of in these NBA playoffs. We've seen a lot of blowouts right. and a lot of games that, um, you know, are over after one dominant quarter. Right. Because the pressure of defending in the open floor like that is, 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 is very daunting to me. When you have teams that can keep you away from the basket area 
and, and they can play without the ball. See, moving without the ball is so important. That's why Golden State, I think, is so tough. Boston does a good job, but not all the time. Golden, Golden State does it all the time. So they constantly have pressure on you, and you have to make the right switch. You don't make the right switch, you get scored. I mean, and that's pressure that mounts up, and that's how you get these quarters like this because if you if you lack, if you could slack on the job for one quarter, the game's over. If Boston did it to them, they did it to Boston next game. I'm anxious to see what's going to happen in game three. I am too. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see if three Celtic starters are going to end up with two points uh, the way they did on Sunday. Right. Right. Something that I never thought would have happened. I mean, it's amazing how that happened. But in the playoffs, that happens uh, because usually they say that you're – that up until the final two rounds, your 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 extra guys will play. Your second tier guys will play better at home than they're on the road. And but the tier, the first tier guys got to play good all the time. And and that's where the difference in the game is becoming. I mean, because Curry goes doesn't play well in game one. Curry and the and the Thompson have trouble. Then they turn right around and have good games the next game. And Tatum goes down and and, and Brown doesn't play well. So it comes down to a lot of pressure now, not just on the because the auxiliary guys. They play well, I mean, because Poole and all those guys play well at home. Now we'll see how they play on the road and see if Boston, if Grant Williams is going to have one of those uh, out-of-body experiences at home like he had in the, in the series before. Austin, I, I want to uh, touch a little bit more on Golden State. It's so interesting because, um, you know, Steph has done what he's done. You saw what Draymond did in Game 2 as being that enforcer. The one guy that they need to come along is Clay, who's now 10 for 33 shooting in the finals so far. Um, what does he need to do to kind of improve his game? It's it's kind of tough for him to get past players, but he could still be a, a knockdown scorer when he needs to. Well, right now, I mean, because I went through – same type of injuries he had, same almost like just like it back hurt one right after another, and what happens is you lose. He has no lift in his in his leg. He's had the surgery on no lift at all. Watch how he shoots his jumper. His jumper when he's moving, especially to his left, he's gonna stop on that one leg and he's gonna shoot a one leg shot. I mean, you just watch how he's moving, and when he has to explode off his. Two legs, he doesn't have that explosion, and he doesn't get up like he used to. So all of that is all related to the injuries that he's just gone. He's not the same player. Austin Carr with us here on Sports Talk as we continue right now into our 5 o'clock hour. You threw, uh, we threw Jamon Green in the conversation a moment ago. Is, is it safe to say that Green is one of those rare throwbacks that if you uh, transported him back into the late 80s and dropped him into any NBA game, because of his style of play, he'd be able to hold up just fine? Or do you think that would uh, be a little too physical for even Draymond to deal with? Oh no, no! He, he wouldn't have been able to do what he's uh, doing back in, in the day when I played because he's too little. I mean, to, to try and play that physical of a game, the guys were bigger than he is uh, in the position he plays. So it would have been a tough, tough deal for him. Uh, as you see now, when he gets caught on a bigger guy, he's 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 prone to fouling a lot. But but there's not that many big guys that he gets switched on now. So. He doesn't have to worry about that. So 
the, the, the difference is the size of the players are different now, um, and and with the position that he plays is is just different. Austin, you played from 71 to 81, most of those years with Cleveland. Who were some of the toughest players uh, you ever went up against? Oh, man. Well, I'm going to start out with Oscar Robinson and Jerry West. That would be the first two. <laughs> then I'm going to give you uh, Nate Archibald. Then I'm going to give you uh, Pete Maravich. Then I'm going to give you Walt Frazier. <laughs> then I'm going to give you uh, uh, Phil Chenier, Phil Smith. I mean, I'll give you Calvin Murphy. I mean, now, that's just little guys. Now, they're going to talk about Dr. J. Um, uh, uh, um, um, then I'm going to talk about uh, big men. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into Otis Gilmore. I'm going to go into uh, you got, you Bob You've got to go Jabbar. Yeah. I go, oh, well, well, I mean, I'm sorry that I've waited so long to mention the King's name. Now, see, <laughs> I played against Jabbar. From the ninth grade in high school, we used to play a Powell Memorial in, in the garden when I was in high school in the ninth grade, and I played against him every year of my career until I finished. And believe me, he is the best, the best, the best. He is the best of the best. I don't know why people don't talk about him. I mean, people act like he didn't play the game. They always want to talk about these other guys, but I don't understand how they don't bring his name up when it comes to the best in the, that's ever played the game. No doubt. And by the way, speaking of uh, uh, Jabbar, uh, you know, and, and those great uh, those great teams, he also played at UCLA. You beat UCLA when you were at uh, Notre Dame back in 71, breaking the win streak. So uh, Austin, known as one of the greatest college players ever to play, and you talked about injuries. Always, You always play the what-if game. If, if you don't get hurt and you go through your NBA career without injuries, uh, you could be in that same conversation as one of the greats of all time. Yeah, thank you for saying that. But uh, yeah, a, a lot of people have told me that, especially uh, one of our announcers, Joe Tate, who was one of the great uh, radio announcers. He told me, he said, if you had stayed healthy, you would have been in the same breath with them. So I, I you know, I appreciate that those accolades. At the same time, I just wish I could have stayed healthy, but uh, I, you know, I just, I, I just couldn't do it. And, uh, and and sports medicine was not like put it this way. If I had had the same injuries um, that Clay had back when I had, I would have never played again. But uh, I was able to get back on uh, the floor. I was never the same person, though. I mean, never, never, because um, I played bone on bone uh, for six years, six oh. seasons, and now that that just doesn't happen. So it, it just. But then the mentality of the game was different then. I, I, I did that because I loved the game. I took the pain every night, and I dealt with it, and I performed the best I could um, to that. But that was the mentality of the game. So, I mean, now it's nowhere near that. Guys get a fingernail hurt. Um, I can't. And, and, and the, the difference is they let them. They say, okay, you can take two weeks off. I mean, so it's just a, it's a different mentality uh, to the whole situation. But, Hey, it is what it is, and uh, it's a game, though, that you still love, and I still love it. So, you know, I, I just just live with it. <laughs> Austin Carr with us here on Sports Talk. That being said, does load management drive you crazy? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, if, if they were paying me $35 million a year, I'm playing games. I mean, and, and, and what I think the league is going to have to deal with, and they're trying to deal with it, is, when you 
people buy tickets in advance. And when they buy tickets and spend that money for those tickets and they bring their families to the game and a guy doesn't play because of load management, that irritates a guy. Matter of fact, I forget what city I was in. I experienced a guy go berserk because of that. And and I just think something that's that the league has to address because it, other than a, a bone injury or or injury where you just can't perform, that that they that load management is just tough to handle when you spent that money to to bring your family to a game and and it, and it doesn't happen because of that. Austin, uh, you've uh, we've talked about the series to begin the uh, conversation. Uh, give me your prediction. Who do you think ends up winning the NBA Finals, and how many games does it go? I'm thinking uh, seven games, and I still give Golden State the edge because these guys make threes at a rapid pace. Now, if Tatum can get Tatum and Brown get back on their tear. They have, but they're going to have to do that to make it to go to Game Six, I think, because Golden State has found their, their niche now. They know how to deal with these guys, and and now it's going to be interesting because you think about it, it's easy to shut Horford down, and they shut him down, and and once you sh- shut him down and Grant Williams, now they have a trouble when they move the ball. They don't get those open looks where they get them, but they don't make them, and that's one thing Golden State pressures you with their offense. Their defense is not bad either, but their offense is what puts the pressure on you because they make you have to make shots. And if you don't make shots, they're just going to creep, creep, creep. Next thing you know, you're down 10, you're down 20. That's just how the, the game is. And and they're forcing the NBA into a whole nother level if you go to compete with them and keep them from winning championships. That's true. Now, a few years ago, you were involved with this with the Cavs, with LeBron, when they ended up winning the championship. So you know what this is like. You've seen it uh, firsthand. Right. Um, is the NBA right. making a mistake, Austin, by taking so many days off in between games? Well, I, I think they they, 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 are, they should bring them on faster, I think. But they don't. For some reason, I think marketing reasons or whatever, but they should have the games come faster. I mean, now, but to have them off like this, uh, but they they had their reasoning, so that's who they are, and that's what they are, and, and it's worked up to this point. So, you know, and and they want to pick the right days to have, uh, like when people have outings and stuff like that. They want the right days to try and get people to watch. And because uh, it's all about eyeballs, as you know, and, and that's what it's about. Final question, then we'll wrap it up with you. Cavs this year win 44 games. They finish third in the Central, get into the playing contest. Uh, you tell me, uh, you've got Darius Garland there in the nucleus uh, for the Cavs. How does the future look for Cleveland fans? It looks bright. I mean, we definitely have an opportunity, um, I would say, because we still have a future. Uh, we have we have assets that we can build into uh, our future. We ha- we got to get more shooting, um, and we got to try and stay healthier. Uh, health really hurt us this season. Right when we needed it, we didn't have it. Rubio went down; that hurt us. Then Allen went down; that hurt us. Everybody had their and and, and really, Garland was banged up all season, basically. So we have to stay healthy, and we need more shooting. If we can get that, we'll be okay because we have size. We just have to get more shooting.
Austin, terrific job. Appreciate the time. Thanks for giving us all the insight. And look forward to the next time we get to chat with you back here on the show. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. You too. He's Austin Carr, folks. Mr. Cavalier. Sports Talk continues 20 past right now. Let's go to Charlie One for traffic. Then play more of your phone calls. 915-505-6009. As a Tuesday edition of Sports Talk continues here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Twenty-four past the hour as sports talk continues. Our thanks again to Austin Carr, Dave Maloney for joining us on the show today. Been fun and good getting back to some of these old uh, type of uh, guests like we used to have in the past. Former players, broadcasters, legends. I mean, Austin Carr is Mr. Cavalier. Had his number retired. Dave Maloney, youngest captain ever for the New York Rangers on the broadcast right now. With Sam Rosen. By the way, that's a first. I'll be honest with you, uh, Adrian. We've never had a analyst join us less than an hour from the start of his broadcast. That is something new. And uh, again, props go out to Dave Maloney for uh, giving us the opportunity to uh, spend a little time talking pucks with him today. Yeah, postseason broadcast, too, for that matter. I mean, that's just – it makes it so special. It makes it – you know, we don't take these interviews for granted and opportunities for granted when we get the chance. Uh, I just felt like his energy was there. You could hear the excitement in the background as well. And, yeah, just uh, having an opportunity to interview him and talk to him right before the puck drops, I mean, that's that's real special right there. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hag's going to join us in a little more – than an hour from now from Albuquerque, by the way. That's that's also really interesting, Adrian. Chihuahuas get three in Albuquerque today, tomorrow, Thursday. Then they come back home Friday, play Friday, Saturday, Sunday with Albuquerque, take Monday off, and then start the next homestand. I saw uh, Tim's tweet asking, is it a three-game series, uh, two three-game series, or one six-game series? I mean, just call it a six game, right? No, I voted for three. I voted for six, just because. Come you can't. On. No, now with two different venues, you can't yeah, do it. You can't I get do it. it. But it's the same opponent. It's so I know, weird. But, but you, but you have three on the road and three at home. That's a three game series. I just think that the way they did this. I mean, come on, who's who's making these schedules? Um, the PC, uh, MLB. I, I was gonna say the PCL, but no, no, no. This smells just like Major League Baseball, because yeah. because it is right. Definitely. Um, the the uh, chance to go out to Albuquerque for three days and then uh, spend the weekend at home for three 100%, days. 100%. 100%. But that's all right. That's uh, part of the fun. And uh, speaking of fun. You know what I love about this segment? We run it at different times. You never know when it's coming, folks. And I'll be honest with you, Adrian didn't even know when it was showing up. No warning, no nothing. He's got to be ready, whether it's at 415, 445, 527, 545, 612, doesn't matter. But that's the beauty of Adrian's movie reviews brought to you each and every afternoon by our friends at Alamo Draft House. Thank goodness I finished this movie at 355. No, I'm just kidding. I watched this over the weekend. Uh, Alamo Draft House, you can actually check out their season pass where you can watch unlimited movies whenever you want at their east location or their west location. You can get advanced tickets online at drafthouse.com and the season pass starts at just $16.99 a month. Visit drafthouse.com for more information. Uh, Urban 
Cowboy is the movie that I got a chance to watch over the weekend. John Travolta, another film that I got a chance to watch from him. Deborah Winger is Sissy, the girl that he's with in this film. You could watch this one on Hulu, on the Roku channel for free, and you could even watch it on Stars if you have a subscription there. Uh, this one was rated 6.4 out of 10 by IMDb, 73% by Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, quick, th- uh, you know, let's let's go over the plot quickly. John Travolta is Bud. He falls in love with Sissy. Bud is this cowboy who ends up moving to Houston. He works at his uncle's oil refinery, and he starts to build a relationship with Sissy. They they go uh, to this nightclub called Gillies, and it's where everybody hangs out. Um, bull riding is a big thing. Mechanical bull riding, not like the real yep. bull riding. Mechanical bull riding. Oh, that was a uh, big deal. We had be- there were mechanical bulls in El Paso in the eighties in nightclubs. This was a big deal around here. I've never seen a mechanical bull in my life, like at a bar here in El Paso. Um, I, I guess that's just uh, just something that doesn't happen. You know what? But we need to see more. After watching this movie, we need to see more mechanical bulls in the 915. Uh, Bud and his relationship with Sissy is toxic. I mean, absolutely toxic. This one does not hold up well because Bud is trying to uh, suggest all these, like, um, you know, like rules that uh, a woman should follow in, in a home. And I, I just, you know, it's, it's 2022 now. Come on, man. Uh, and by the way, Sissy is very independent. She's very 2022. She's very progressive, um, which is very interesting. Now, Bud is, he is the guy who's really good at riding that mechanical bull. Sissy isn't allowed because Bud won't let him. So Sissy gets, uh, you know, real interested in trying to ride this bull. Then comes Wes, who's this convict, who is uh, a former convict. He starts to work at this bar. And after Bud and Sissy start arguing the two split so sissy goes over to west she starts learning how to ride the mechanical bull it's just a really weird story and west is this uh, like grimy ugly guy where uh, lives at this terrible place it's just a it's just a bad story it was like a train wreck steve i had to watch this film and it felt like a train wreck because as bad as some points were i just couldn't stop watching so it kind of reeled me back in left and right then there was this big bull riding contest. The winner gets five grand. Sissy wanted it. She was going to win it and move with Wes to Mexico. Bud wanted to win it and save his money and try to save maybe his relationship. Another woman uh, comes into the picture named Pam as well toward the end of this film. Well, Bud ends up winning. He ends up beating up Wes and stealing the girl at the end. So, uh, yeah, I guess it ends in a positive note. It's hard to sit through at times, I'll be honest with you, and it's hard to like anybody in this film, like mm. as far as the characters. Uh, the soundtrack, I'm sorry, can't do it. I, I'm, I can do country, but I can't do that kind. I, so you I'm can't sorry. do, so, I mean, you have to understand, this was country. This was 1980 country. What you're listening to now is not country, okay? That's true. The stuff you hear now is not, it's not country music. So you don't like the older stuff, you like the newer country. I like, um... I, I like the good country. I, I don't like really the newer pop country. Like, I'm not about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, I felt like some of it was, like, twang or, like, mm-hmm. just weird stuff. But, anyways, um, I give this one a 6 out of 10 bananas because there was just too many bull riding scenes, man. I, I, how many times can we see a mechanical bull riding scene? I figured this was getting 4 out of 10 bananas. You No, pretty much it was a train wreck. This, you set this up for an awful review, but you said that it was the kind of movie that you had to keep watching. Yes, Travolta is... Is exciting like he's energetic in this film and like even though you hate his I I couldn't stand Bud as a character 
through this film. Would you like to see a remake? Yes. Should this yes. movie get a reboot? Yes, this should have a, a reboot. It should be way more 2022 versus mm-hmm. when it was. Uh, yes, I, I would think a reboot would be good. And then mix it up, a mechanical bull, and then throw in something else uh, also. You don't have to just have the mechanical bull. Throw darts. Like maybe player people are playing darts or, or playing some pool as well, and it's just bar games versus yeah. a single mechanical bull. Got it. All right. So there you go. Adrian's latest movie review brought to you each and every day by our friends uh, out there at uh, Alamo Draft House. All right. Uh, as much fun as Adrian just had dissecting Urban Cowboy, here you go. You get two more minutes of him right now with this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Four now past the hour. Two lines are open 915 505 6009 as we head to the phones and welcome in Brian from downtown to the show. Brian, how are you? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Enjoyed the review. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love you to death, kid, but you're just a kid. <laughs> Listen, the urban cowboy phenomena, and it was a phenomena after the movie, meant millions and millions of dollars to the El Paso community because all, everybody wanted cowboy boots after that movie, and they're all made right here. Wow, that's a great bit of uh, trivia right there. I love that. I love hearing this. At one time, I was photographing for six different boot companies, and and it just by it was simultaneously. 1980 was the beginning of the T.O. Stanley Boot Company, and they made custom-made boot companies to give Lucasia a run for their money. And they, I'm telling you, they just couldn't keep them in stock. It didn't matter what they charged; they flew off the shelves. And the and the stars that came in to have their their feet measured for custom boots. It was an unbelievable time in the history of El Paso, Texas. There's a there that's interesting too. So after after Urban Cowboy, now see I always thought boots were just popular in El Paso regardless, but Urban Cowboy took it to a new level, huh? Well, they were always popular in El Paso, you know, but I mean this made it cool in Hollywood and everywhere else and uh, there you know you know, uh, I've, I've been wearing cowboy boots since the 60s. But the thing is, is that bankers and everybody, it, was, it became the in thing. And, 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 the, and the El Paso and the Juarez boot makers, they couldn't keep up the supply. I mean, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, certain things happened to, uh, on the negative side as years went by. Quality went down a little bit, you know. And, and, uh, but, I mean, on the top side, the custom boot makers... Uh, could charge anything they wanted. I I photographed twenty five hundred and five thousand dollar pairs of boots. Wow, I love that. I love that story. Also, I've heard those and I've seen some of those photos with like celebrities in El Paso getting their custom boots. Some of those kind of pop up like social media, you know, when people are throwing uh, throwing up uh, flashback photos and stuff like that. So those are always cool to see. I appreciate this bit of insight here in, in well, terms just, of the historical just, insight on this. Just another example, you know, the, the, the champion rodeo cowboy Larry Mahan I had a second career. He had the Larry Mahan Boot Company and clothing. I did all the photography. His girlfriend was very attractive when I took pictures of her wearing those cowboy boots and those skimpy little Western outfits that they designed up there on Scenic Drive. I mean, it was it was a phenomenon. Just a, I can't put it in, in any better term than that. But did you like the movie? No, the movie sucked. <laughs> but. But but it gave. But I tell you what, it gave 
a launching pad to a couple of the stars. Very interesting. All right. Yeah, well, look, Travolta look was the, already look. big by Urban Cowboy because he broke in with Welcome Back Cotter in the mid to late 70s. No, but, no, but it, yeah. yeah, but he was a TV star. That right. made him a Hollywood Well, star. but he was at Saturday Night Fever a few years earlier. That was huge with the BGs. Yeah, you may be right, but this 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 helped him give him a second start. Fair enough. I mean, and, I, yes. Yeah, no, it was all right. You're, I'm sure you're right when it comes to the Hollywood part, but I'm just saying that the trend, the 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 cowboy boot phenomenon went on for a full decade. That, and I then, think, is the best takeaway from this movie, that El Paso's economy went bonkers thanks to the uh, just the trend of getting boots after Urban Cowboy. I should uh, you know, add was, an extra banana now. You should, yes, the, uh, the boot <laughs> banana. That's right. Well, you know, it's just what the doctor ordered for El Paso because uh, uh, with, with, a, with a, a few of the political uh, issues that we had um, – the sewing machine industry, the the clothing industry, the 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 Farrah, the uh, uh, and, and its contemporaries, uh, Wrangler and all that, that really started to go away because uh, of the ter- the way that uh, that oh, the twin plants opened up and the sewing machines all moved to Mexico and to the Far East. So there's there's scarcely there are very few places in El Paso, few factories now that manufacture clothing, if there are any at all. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's a good point. Good stuff. But, but that helped fill the void uh, for, for those that could sew, I'll tell you that. Brian, always interesting when you call. Love the El Paso tie on it, and uh, thanks for giving us uh, a little bit uh, of what Urban Cowboy meant to the city of El Paso. That's something we wouldn't have had until you called, so thanks for that. Well, there's still a, a bunch of – there's still a lot of really good bootmakers, custom bootmakers, uh, in this in this in this town, there are uh, stallion stallion is one, and, and you know there caboots is another, and and of course uh, Marty Snordum, another photographer, he's probably got the most pop. He's probably has done the best with extending the custom boot uh, theme uh, in the world. He's got a worldwide presence. Well, we need to introduce you uh, to to our buddy Gabe at 1836 Boot Company since uh, he took care of uh, the two of us for those custom UTEP boots. That's one man you you need to meet for sure. Yeah, love to meet the guy. Awesome. All right, Brian. We'll talk soon. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye. Brian from downtown chiming in. 20 in front of 6. More in a moment of Sports Talk continues. Heading up to our finish line. 630 right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, 48 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Adrian will be taking the show over for me tomorrow, along with Jason Craig. Two of them will be uh, getting you through our Wednesday-Thursday edition of the programs. Lots of guests. And then Friday, it's going to be Duke Keith and Lou Romano here in our Lubingo studios. Adrian, back at it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. I'll be with you Thursday. Having an opportunity to get a little R&R. I'm excited for you getting a a good week of shows. And also, I'm excited for our listeners having an opportunity to uh, take a break from me. That's that's good news. Yeah, they don't get that very often. So it's nice when people finally uh, get a chance to have some new voices uh, dominating sports talk. Oh, well, Steve, first off, I'm very excited that you get a chance to do what you're going to be doing over this next week, which uh, you're you're getting a chance to go with your family, which I'm very happy for. Uh, And and, and, uh, everybody deserves a little time off here in the summer. This is what it's 
all about. I, I will say this: this is the this is the summer uh, time right now. This is the, those evergreen topics. You know, uh, you know. Let's uh, get Jason Craig out there. Let's have him put put out some reps. Sal Montes will be dropping by nice. uh, throughout the week as well. Same with Angel Munoz, who's going to assist uh, on some production as well and help Jason in case he needs it. So we're going to be busy. We'll have a full team out here about a about a four group, you know, four person group here uh, on, a, on a given day here this week. That's beautiful, isn't it? I like that. It's yeah. going to be a big, that's going to be like a, par, like a house party on this show. That's what I think. As, as soon as we get a couple guests in here, it's going to be like eight people in this uh, area. Yes, it is. That's going to be fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to listening in as uh, as I can on our mobile app powered by United Bank. The easiest way to keep tabs on the show and uh, hear what's going on. And uh, yes, it'll be uh, it will be nice uh, to to uh, spend a little R in our way. But I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys uh, what you guys have cooked up for the show. There's going to be good. You know, there's breaking news. It, it's a guarantee. Now, I don't know what's going to break because UTEP's roster is full already, and hopefully nothing on the UTEP front. But there's always a couple of good local stories that break whenever I leave town. Well, I will tell you this: the you, I've heard that UTEP players are currently uh, trickling onto campus this week and next week. So I'm curious nice. to see if there will be uh, any kind of you know because no one knows these people, no one knows these players or, or guys who are coming in. It's a completely new roster, so maybe it's a little early into the summer to just throw them out to fans to do some kind of a meet and greet thing yeah. like that maybe that's more toward the the fall but i wouldn't be surprised to uh, hear from some of these athletes as the weeks uh, come along good i'm looking forward to that i think we'll have a lot of fun talking to uh, the athletes uh, on the show and then before you know it it's football season i mean can you believe that in in about the next two months uh the football team will already be practicing getting ready for the start of the season yeah i was uh, just talking to praise Mayule today and he was saying that they're they're already going through summer workouts, so they're trying to get their conditioning right right now. So, like this is this is actually like the most tiring time for most of these football players. And then when July hits, that's football season. I, I think you turn the page once June is over and July hits. It's uh, it's all about fall camp. I'm hoping they go back to Rio Oso. I don't know if they're going to go back this year, but hopefully next year they return to Rio So That was such a great camp for them. Yeah, it really – it's such a great uh, opportunity. And the sad thing is I know that Dana Dibble has said this on this radio show before, but it's true. Some of these current players on the roster have never been to Ridoso with this team. I know, it's crazy. That It's hard to think about I think that. it's a majority now. Well, wait a minute. Were, didn't they go to Ridoso? Uh, was 2019 the last year they were there, or was it 2020? It had to, to be 2019. To it had to be 2019. There was no way they were doing it during COVID. So 2021, this would have been this, this is the third summer now without Ridoso. Yeah, you're talking about some impact freshmen, sophomores yep. who are on this team who've never been out to Ridoso and had a chance to bond with the team. I think it's great when they get a chance to go out there, not only for the players, the coaches, also for the fans who are out there in uh, in New Mexico, get a chance to watch them, the people in El Paso who make the trip out to Ridoso and use that as an excuse uh, to head out there. So, yeah, I, I hope it comes back as well. A couple of football, speaking of football, a couple of NFL notes to wrap things up this hour. Um, how about Aaron Rodgers saying that he will definitely finish his career as a Packer? Do you believe him? I mean, I don't know. I, I, how many more years do you think? I think the thing is this. I think Aaron Rodgers realizes that he doesn't want to keep doing this anymore. I think he also thinks he probably has one or two years left max, and then he's done. 
Maybe once he gets that next ring, if he does, if he gets that next ring, maybe that's when he could decide to, uh, you know, call it quits and, and end up retiring at that point. Who knows? But it's very odd the timing. I mean, I get it. He got paid. Uh, this they needed to ask this question eventually. I just feel like it's real odd, and it's probably more for uh, more for the dramatics, more to get fans excited. We'll cross that br- bridge when it comes, Steve. Like, let's say they have a really bad season with the Packers, uh, you know, or something like that, or maybe he's frustrated with the front office again. Yep. I could see him leaving. I don't know if they're going to upset him, though. I think they realize right now that there is such a giant gap between him and Jordan Love. I don't think they want to. I don't think they want to break this thing down just yet. I think they want to keep it going as long as they can. I can. They got smart. They realized it. All they had to do was watch him when when uh, when Rodgers either got hurt or last year when he didn't play in that last game. You saw that. Just you saw how the team was not the same. And, and now without with without Devontae Adams, you better believe you need to keep number twelve in, in, in there. Otherwise, you're gonna have a total rebuild. Yeah, and I feel like with yeah, just like you said, the Jordan Love drop off is so significant. They've lost out on trying to trade him. Also, yeah, Steve, they like they his value is really low right yep. now. So you can't really get much for Jordan Love. You spent a first round pick on him, and now you're gonna have to live with him as your backup quarterback to Aaron Rodgers when you don't have a lot of skilled wide receivers on your team. Derek Carr said Colin Kaepernick would fit in great with the Raiders. You wonder if this is just PR spin or if Carr really would like to see Cap back in the NFL. Maybe a little bit of both, which is fine, I think. And if uh, if he's on board, if Josh McDaniels is on board, if Colin Kaepernick's not necessarily taking his spot and he it's still his team, which I, I believe it will be, why not? I mean, I, I think that you look at those two backup quarterbacks they have right now. I'm not impressed by those guys. What is it? Brian Hoyer? Like, yeah, no, I'm not bad. impressed by those guys. That's true. All right, two hours in the Bucks. We got another 30 minutes to go, including Tim Haggerty live from uh, Albuquerque. That's still to come. Get you up to the bottom of the hour with the uh, Chihuahuas and the Isotopes. It's right around the corner here on Sports Talk and 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, here we go. Final 30 minutes on a... Tuesday edition of the show. Hockey's starting right now. Hang on, let me find my remote control. Adrian, excited about this game. Let's see if the Rangers can start fast like they did the last game, except unlike Game 3, actually close strong when they had a 2 uh, 2 nothing lead. You know what would be interesting, Steve? Just like we saw with the Avalanche. I'm not, no jinx here. No jinx at all. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing jinx away and conspiracies away. But if the Rangers were able to make this a shorter series and actually win against the Lightning tonight, give them that momentum heading into Game 5, and then close it out at home, uh, that would give them a ton of momentum and kind of be a nice response to the Avalanche's sweep against the Oilers uh, heading into the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, I know it's way easier said than done against a Tampa Bay team that is, bottom line, lights out at home. I mean, this team simply just doesn't lose at home. They don't. Um, they're automatic, almost. So, and the Rangers don't usually win on the road, not in the playoffs. Although they've won when it counted. That's Those right. Those game sevens were big for them. When nobody, when nobody expected. Yeah, it. they've proven that despite you know some of the biggest stages there are in hockey uh, in the playoffs. And and hey, they just uh, they weren't just happy to be here. They're not just they're they're looking to now win it all because they see that this is uh, an area of opportunity for the Rangers to go out and win the East Finals and then go off and try to win the Stanley Cup. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So we'll see what happens. That's uh, coming up here in a little bit. Rangers and Lightning. By the way, um, I do like the. 
Steve Levy, Mark Messier, and uh, Chris Chelios uh, anal- analysis uh, trio that they've got. These are the those are the three studio analysts. You know, uh, Messier and Chelios are Hall of Famers. Levy, of course, uh, for all the years uh, he's worked alongside Barry Melrose, one of the best. Uh, it's ESPN and hockey belong together. It always should be the case. And I know that for years, NBC Sports Network picked it up and they ran with it. But, man, I was happy when ESPN got it back. Yeah, this has been one of those first years, at least for me, as kind of a casual hockey fan, where I got a chance to watch a lot more hockey because it's way more accessible on the ESPN platforms. Like, you can watch every single game using ESPN+, Plus, which is kind of cool, um, just knowing that everything is available for you. And then you can also listen to the radio broadcast. So, yeah, I, I and also, by the way, I've really enjoyed Steve Levy. I think he helps you kind of understand what's going on, the different, uh, I guess, different schemes and game plans that uh, each team sets. So yep. I really like what he brings to the table absolutely let's check out some tweets coming in at 600 espn el paso before we do the mobile app uh, powered by united bank has uh, also given us some terrific conversation here we go this one comes from pinky while assigned to holloman air force base after um snf i would bring fellow troops to different uh, boot stores in el paso tony lama and justin just to name a few Tony Lama Factory Store on Mills across El Paso National Bank would also have sales on Thursday. Boots were part of my upbringing in Socorro. That comes from Pinky. You didn't even have to finish that sentence. I knew who it was from. I knew it was Pinky. Yeah, you know Pinky is going to. That was great. Good stuff there, Pinky. Pinky's going to show you the love. That's for sure. Uh, also, checking out Twitter. Esteban tweets the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. Um, and he refers to himself in the uh, third person, always one of my favorites. Um, Esteban, as he tweets, gets off work at 5 p.m., so please don't do movie reviews before 5. Good good to know, Esteban. Now we can uh, save it for later in the 5 if we have a chance. I have done 4 o'clock movie reviews over the last couple of weeks, Esteban. My apologies, but now that I know you're getting off work, I'll try to limit the 4 o'clock exposure. I like to spread the movie reviews around so it's not the same hour every day and it changes on the show. I do like that, but... Stevan, we will keep your work schedule uh, in, in mind on that. And also, uh, no movie review on Friday due to the fact that Adrian will be off that day. So uh, we'll pick it back up again uh, on Monday. But he's got lots of movies to talk about, and uh, I'm sure uh, good ones too. And who knows, Adrian, maybe one of these days you'll just have to put a big compilation of movie reviews together on the website. Wow. God, nice, that would be uh, That would nice. be a massive upbringing. Uh, uh, upbringing. Don't they have also a um, – uh, text to type where you could essentially take your air checks and transcribe it using computer programs so if, you don't have to write it? If that was the case, I would have all my interviews done and longer stories than I already do. Okay, that's good to know. Just wondering if that was the case. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? That, that would be great. I Now, I thought the same thing. I mean, it's it'll be a project, but I thought about that too. Uh, just kind of, hey, this you know, I gave Slapshot this many bananas. I, these were some of my favorites. These were the duds. Don't go back and watch these. I think when you finish this project, whenever that is you should compile by bananas your list of movies from 
10 all the way down just to see who gets the highest ratings and who gets the lowest ratings. Yeah. Without reviews, but just listing the movies by bananas, that would be very cool. I like that because if we get to do, then we could just get like a graphic and then it's less work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, (laughs) it's easier for us to do, but we do need like actual banana graphics for your perfect, for your golden bananas. We need to have like 10 golden bananas and then from nine all the way down to one. It's funny you say that because in my notes app, I've got all the reviews and I've got a bunch of bananas like next to all the ones I've watched. So now I can look back and say, oh yeah, Donnie Brasco. I thought, I thought that was eight out of 10 bananas or the outsiders was six out of 10 bananas whatever yes that is that was good um excellent all right and a follow-up from esteban my movie recommendation for adrian was young blood cannot wait to get his take on tea with miss mcgill all right thank you esteban crystal crunkleton tweeted the show earlier so can we wait to see UTEP men's basketball before we criticize? This was Crystal's um, response to my story. Now, here's the thing, okay, Crystal? Very important to note. If you read the story, which you probably haven't, you'll notice it's not criticism. And if you want to call it criticism, we'll call it constructive criticism. Because in the article, I do point out that Joe Golding won without a center last year. I mean, Titus Verhoeven had, I think it was eight games or nine games out of 31 where he actually scored in double figures, and he didn't score more than 14. So ultimately, they didn't have a center last year, and they won 20, which we pointed out in the story. But it is important to note, especially since so many fans wanted UTEP to get themselves a skilled uh, big as a transfer player this year through the portal that they didn't get it for the second year in a row and they're going to rely on guard play. That doesn't mean that the season's going to be a failure. It doesn't mean that it's time to push the panic button. It's simply an observation that for the first two years Joe Golding's been here, they have not been able to get the kind of big that fans have wanted to see UTEP land. You know, it's interesting because uh, we, we we cite Ken Palm at times, which is the advanced analysis of college basketball. It gives you a lot of advanced analytics. One of the stats, I, I just found this out right now, that they actually keep track of is average height. And it, it actually tells you where your team ranks in average height. This past year, the Miners, who despite not having too many tall guys, I mean, who's their tallest player from last year? Bonky Maring at six foot ten. Uh, it was not Zarek Onyema at six foot nine, nor Titus Verhoeven at six foot nine. Their average height ranked in the top one hundred last year of college basketball. So that's kind of interesting. They came in at ninety fourth overall. That is interesting because I would have thought a little differently on that. Yeah, they were a smaller team, but maybe they maybe it's because they had sizable guards last year. Maybe that could be the case. You kind of average things out and things work out uh, for you in that regard. Going over to 2013 with the Miners, when you had John Bohannon, guys like Julian Washburn, Mackenzie Moore, Chris Washburn, they were number 73 in the country in average height with almost the same, um, you know, like I, I guess it's like the, the size overall, but it's just kind of interesting interesting to reflect on uh, where they were with Tim Floyd and where they are now with Joe Golding. It is really interesting. And, um, you know, listen, I'm, I'm more interested to see the greatest case study here is going to be that this is a team that you know, does have its share of guys that can fill up a stat sheet, at least previously from coming to UTEP. But there's a lot of unknowns on this team. And 
And I'm excited about that because ultimately, across the I-10, their new head coach did exactly the opposite. He tried to load up on the best Juco players in the country and get as many splash signees as he possibly could. Now, we've seen that around here at UTEP, and it hasn't always worked. So I wonder if Greg Heyer will have more success or if ultimately he could end up in the same dilemma that the Miners were in a few years ago and ultimately, you know, Joe Golding's group outperforms what some people expect just because they don't have all the splash names attached to them. Yeah, I actually, you could talk yourself into it pretty easily. You could say that with a team without egos, kind of like you were uh, alluding to earlier, with guys who don't necessarily require the ball all the time, you have a team full of guys who need to prove things, guys who have chips on their shoulders, and that might be a good thing for the Miners, but you're still banking on the unknown, whereas you look over to New Mexico State, they get guys like LSU transfer Xavier Pinson, they get players uh, from Division One ranks with experience and junior college guys who have won at a high level. Yeah, it's interesting to kind of compare the two rosters as they're kind of built, uh, you know, right in front of us. Absolutely right. Absolutely. So, all right, that's coming up. Uh, by the way, you have not seen Youngblood yet, have you? No. All right, just making sure that that is not. That's Rob Lowe, by the way. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. It's a classic hockey. Now, it's not Slapshot. Okay, it's not Slapshot. It is not, slap it is not. It is no. It is not the Hansons, but uh, it's it's back in the height of the Rob Lowe popularity. I don't. I don't know, man. I think that Slapshot might be among the best sports movies ever. Just after watching it, I'm like, I, I think I have to revisit like my list of best sports movies, and and even revisit my banana ranking. That one might have to go back and g- give that a golden banana. Most people do list, list Slapshot as one of the greatest sports movies of all time. Especially hockey, it, it takes – there's nothing yes. that comes close. No Mighty Ducks, no Young Blood, none of those. Slapshot is still in a league of its own. And there's really no movie in other sports that have the kind of cult – uh, phenomenon like that movie has had all these years later. Yeah, and just it's uh, almost sincerity at times, like how quirky it is and how funny it is and off the wall it really is. Like, no other movie can really replicate what it did. Uh, I am excited to watch Young Blood with Rob Lowe. All right. So, uh, Esteban will be happy for that review, too. And don't forget the tea with Miss McGill scene in Young Blood is what he is looking for. So, he wants a specific mention to a part of that movie. Tea with Miss McGill, you got to get that done. Okay, I got you. This sounds good. Fantastic. When we come back, final countdown, Tim Haggerty from the ballpark, right after Charlie won and one last traffic update, 15 past as sports talk continues.